2: This is Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our patrons, you're beautiful. Thank you for being here. And this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. But if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended versions or listen and interact with us live please head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. And hello to our newest patrons since the last show, Peter Shakeshaft and David Morris. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, since last week's episode. Great to have you with us. And thank you for keeping us uh, in a supply of clean towels and hot meals. It's very much appreciated,
0: uh, isn't it, Ian? It is, absolutely, yeah. We, we yeah. love um, those uh, clean towels. Mm, and those hot meals. Well, they're a part of life. They are, and uh, other
2: things that are parts <laughs> parts of life <laughs> include Facebook hiring former Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg as the head of its global affairs and communications team. This, according to the BBC writing this week, the 51-year-old politician was leader of the Liberal Democrats and formed a coalition government, as we will all fondly remember, with David Cameron and the Conservatives in 2010. Now, Clegg's new job title will be Vice President of Global Affairs and Communications at Facebook. That's a longer word for lobbying man. And he's going to start working there on Monday before moving to California with his family permanently in the new year. Now, we're going to discuss this a little bit, but um, I I did spend some time thinking about this this week, and and I kind of think that it's not difficult to see why Facebook would want to hire a European politician at the moment. The company's under fire from regulators and politicians and and other authorities here and around Europe and, you know, and to be fair, around the world as well for anything from privacy breaches to its role in the spread of fake news and election rigging and hate speech on, on its platforms. Plus, Clegg has the benefit of not only speaking English but also French, Dutch and German which will be very handy. Um, And then here more locally in the UK Facebook is also under investigation for letting uh, the data of millions of users end up in the hands of Cambridge Analytica which of course we've discussed at length uh, over the last few months. And as as a bit of a brief reminder yes, Nick Clegg led the the Liberal Democrats into government uh, with then Tory leader David Cameron because he needed more MPs to make a government. They were it was what do they call
0: it a hung Parliament? I think isn't it? When, mm, uh, yes, well, exactly. It. Or they didn't have a well, yeah, yeah. They didn't have a clear majority to get things through.
2: Yeah, and we had that in the uh, the snap election that uh, Theresa May called, and she had to line up with the so the DUP, wasn't it, in uh, in Ireland? But the the Tories had to had to buddy up with the Liberal Democrats, and it was a really controversial uh, coalition. I mean, for Clegg in particular, most notably, I think when he ended up apologising for not blocking a rise in student tuition fees, which had been a key part of his manifesto ahead of the uh, the election, and then in the twenty fifteen general election, uh, the Liberal Democrats were reduced from. Uh, almost 60 seats to to fewer than 10, and Clegg subsequently resigned. So that was the last we sort of really knew about what Clegg was up to. And that all sounds kind of bad, but I kind of think Clegg's got this sort of experience to a certain extent that Facebook needs. Um, He's also actually been a pretty staunch defender of the company in the past. If you Google Nick Clegg Facebook, um, you know, for stories older than a week ago Um, there's an interesting piece you can find for for one of the uk newspapers i think it was the eye and he he really took the company's side in a column and he wrote it's time we pause for breath before everyone charges off in a stampede of condemnation of tax dodging fake news extremism promoting data controlling tech firms the unthinking mood of hostility could soon topple into outright luddism against new forms of technology that's a pretty damning praise for for facebook but it's also
0: Um, nonsense isn't it really
2: well, to a large extent, yes. Uh, depending
0: on which side of the fence you sit, um, but but, <laughs> but hiring sit, I sit on the side of, of of the truth. In fact, and the 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 reality is that Facebook is and continues to do in, in, untold damage to us both politically and uh, personally. Let's come to that in a moment, uh, because I had one final point I wanted to make
2: about Nick Clegg, which is that the hiring of him by Facebook helps answer the question I think a lot of people have, which is what does a politician do after politics other than after dinner speeches and book deals? Uh, The answer, it turns out to be work for a giant company that will most likely pay you a salary in order of magnitude higher than you'd get from the public purse uh, forward slash the queen. So that's where we are. He's going to start working the new year uh, properly, but uh, really um, start uh, getting the wheels spinning up from next week.
0: So, Ian, thoughts? Are you a Clegg fan? Are you a, are you a Clegger? Well, uh, not really. I mean, I don't I don't really care, and I don't I don't know why anyone does care about what what he does for a job. I mean, I've seen some condemnation of it. Um, can't raise any enthusiasm for it, frankly. Uh, like all politicians, they uh, they often end up using it. As a springboard, you know they'll they'll do their time on the uh, the benches of parliament, and then they'll you know get a better paid job when one comes along. It's happened time and time again, and uh, it will continue to happen because um, people don't actually care about the country; they just uh, you know like the power. Well, he
2: um, before he was in politics, he he was a journalist at the FT.
0: Well, then he should care about truth, shouldn't he? Yeah. And well, I mean, I, you know, obviously it's a complicated matter, but this isn't about the truth, is it? This isn't about, you know, making Facebook a better company. It's about them understanding how regulation works in the UK, particularly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they made other hires from other countries uh, that follow the same pattern. Um, and it, it means that they will then understand what will and will not be tolerated and they'll have access to a lobby. Um, so it, again, really, it, it's got you know, very little to do with the truth of truth. It's everything to do with one man getting a good paycheck and some more power and Facebook uh, trying to stemmy the flow of blood from its severed artery of honesty and decency. They should put that on the posters, mate. They should. They should. I mean, I, I'm almost getting sick and tired of writing about Facebook because if it's not one thing, it's the next. It's an absolutely ludicrous company
2: but it's it's sort of unavoidable when when a, when a company has such an enormous amount of influence i mean it's far more influential in many ways than governments you know and yeah. and, and other lobbyists if you look well, at how governments try and convince people around the, the the world to you know to agree with their policies and get them voting very little has as much impact as as social media and, and, and in fact i think and i i hate to talk about uh donald trump on our show but I do remember reading, I think it was this week, it might have been the week before, Taylor Swift made a post on Instagram about rallying, you know, her supporters to, um, to to vote. And I read somewhere that something like 150,000 new voters were registered in her Tennessee district, specifically as a result, they think, of Taylor Swift making a post about it. So, you know, that sort of shows you the, the kind of power that I mean, obviously for her, a a very highly followed uh, celebrity, but also just the reach that these platforms have. So in a sense, it kind of makes sense for companies to be hiring politicians as to whether Nick Clegg's going to do the job
0: that Facebook needs it to do from a PR standpoint, uh, I suppose, remains to be seen. Well, I mean, he. I don't necessarily think it's anything like that. I mean, I think I think he will absolutely uh, be valuable to them, and I don't think that that will be necessarily something we'll be uh, particularly aware of. I don't think he's. Um, I don't think he's going to be seen a lot. I don't. I don't feel like that's how it's going. If especially if he's moving to America, he's not going to be the British face of Facebook's publicity department, is he? He's going to be, um, you know, giving them information and helping them make inroads with government. I think with a
2: company the size of Facebook, with the travel budget that uh, that it has, he'll be making frequent trips to the UK. I mean, think about just the, the the kind of committees that we've seen holding inquiries in the UK with Damian Collins at the DCMS grilling uh, Facebook executives. I mean, they they still want to get Zuckerberg in front of them, and I can just see this as being a fantastic way for for Collins to convince Zuckerberg to appear uh, finally in uh, in a committee hearing mm. by calling up Nick Clegg and saying, "Dude, tell your boss." to put down his shotgun or whatever he hunts animals with, because he loves to do that, apparently, get on a plane, come here and tell us about Cambridge Analytica, please. That seems like a no-brainer.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, but ultimately, what's the point? We've already had a, an inquiry into um, the you know, the Russians meddling in Brexit, um, and the answer was we can't do anything about foreign powers who decide to impede British um, democracy. So it doesn't really make any difference, does it? It's, it's done. It's done now. It's it's not going to get any better. Um, we All we can really hope for is that, um, well, we, ju- we just have to hope that Facebook does the right thing and protects its users from this sort of thing happening again.
2: Yeah. Well, any thoughts you have, of course, do send them to us, hello at techpodcast.uk uh, or leave us some thoughts on Twitter, at text message pod.
1: You're listening to Text Message with Nate Langson. Do you have someone sitting next to you? Yes? Why not tell them about the show? You never know, your new best friend and our newest listener could be just an awkward conversation away. Some
2: online sellers, Ian, are offering people free things in return for positive product reviews. Uh, This is according to an investigation by consumer group Witch, uh, according to a BBC write-up this week. And the Beeb said that Witch's investigator joined several rewards for reviews groups and was hired to write high-rated reviews in return for free items. Um, This is interesting because almost always uh, this kind of thing is against the policy of online sellers and platforms. The investigator gave an honest review of the items, the BBC wrote. Um, But in three out of five cases, the investigator was not refunded for the purchase because the reviews were not positive enough or the seller could no longer be contacted, Um, which said that in one example, the investigator gave a smartwatch a two-star review and they were told by the seller to rewrite it because the product was free, so it is quote the default to give five star evaluation uh, I, I I wanted to include this in our story uh, for two reasons in uh, three if you include the fact that it's just interesting but the first is that this is a kind of no s sherlock sort of uh, uh. issue this has been happening for years and years if not decades if you include print media prior to the internet uh, but also you know you and I really cut our teeth in the technology world as technology reviewers at CNET. And this kind of story reminds me of the benefit that we hopefully gave consumers writing reviews for a site um, like CNET that, that has a good reputation. And now so much of the the reviewing world is, is confined to user-generated content on shopping platforms themselves or across sh- social media, things like that. And... You know, it's very difficult now. I think for consumers to necessarily know who to trust. There's there's too much noise and too little obvious signal.
0: What do you well, reckon? Well, yeah. Well, I yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree. I mean, it, it isn't it isn't a good idea for um for people to be reviewing things that they've either been given for free or that they have bought themselves in many ways. Um, I've always said that people who buy things aren't aren't good you know, um, bellwethers for whether the product is good, because obviously a lot of the time they've spent money and then they'll sort of trick themselves into thinking it's better than it is in a lot of cases. I mean, um, you know, you, you'll see that with the defense of some very average products. Um, but I don't have as much problem with that as I do with, um, you know, the, the idea of, um, giving away free products. I wrote a story about this that was also on the BBC, um, uh, about, um, Amazon and its Vine program. Uh, whereby Amazon's sort of been accused of switching that program somewhat because originally it was designed for people to review third-party products. So they would um they would do a deal with, say, Gillette and get some sh- razors. And then they would be expected to review that product on Amazon. It will be flagged as a Vine review. And then um but that, but the people would never come in contact with the companies. Amazon would be the intermediate and they would deal with getting the product, shipping it to the customer, and then the customer's free to say what they want. So in theory, actually quite a good idea because Um, I mean, you know, obviously there are professional reviewers in the world and this is a cheaper way of actually paying people to review products and it's more likely that the public will find those favourable. The argument was that as Amazon uh, has increasingly encroached into providing its own products through the Amazon Basics range and stuff like that, it was sending those out through the Vine programme and it was therefore um, not then uh, the people weren't then one step removed from the company that was providing the product they were dealing directly with it so they felt even if they weren't told they were sort of they felt like they had to review it in a positive light um perhaps giving you know a far more favorable score than the product actually deserved um so, I mean, I'm sure there are ways of doing good online, uh, you know, reviews by customers. You can learn a lot about stuff, but it's very difficult to take them seriously. Um, uh, 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 there's a lot of stuff that you could buy the, where people just don't necessarily understand the product properly. Uh, they, may, they may well have paid for it themselves, but they, they might have a fundamental misunderstanding of what it does when they bought it or whatever. Um, and that can affect products either in a good way or a bad way. Um, but ultimately, I, I do not believe that this particular idea of paying for reviews or rewarding people for reviews with expensive free products is a particularly good idea. And I also believe it would be, well, if not illegal, probably fall foul of some legislation. Definitely. I mean, it reminds me of a lot of the controversy we have about celebrities
2: promoting products that they're paid to promote without flagging them as as ads or promotions. And KV raises an interesting point in the chat room as we're talking here, which is that some people review within the honeymoon period. And actually, a lot of professional reviewers will review within a a similar type of honeymoon period. You know, you get the product home and you're very happy with it for the first two or three days. You're very excited. So you write a very excited review. But sometimes those reviews would be quite different maybe three months down the line when a product's had its time to wear in and and Mm. possibly even wear, wear out certainly happened to me when i started buying electric scooters the first two that i bought were were you know very good to the extent that i actually recommended one of them to our one of our uh, regular listeners uh in in the the discord in the chat room uh, i won't name him by name because i don't want to embarrass him uh because i know he fell off one of them but i didn't fall off one but two of them did break and i sent them back and they were terrible and if I'd have written the review within the first three days, I'd have probably said, yes, good value, you know, goes a decent speed. It's fantastic. But if I'd have written the review when I sent them back, I would have said, reprehensible product broke in the same way two times within six weeks. Do not buy, avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, bought a bought a, bought a better one. But um, but we had this problem when we were doing reviews as well, in because a lot of companies, even for the professional reviewers, um, like us uh, and uh, and others like us. Sometimes companies, you know, the way it works, a company will send out the product for uh, for review, you know, to you, and they 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 want them back when you're done with them. But sometimes you're only given, I mean, sometimes a matter of days, and yeah. sometimes less even than that to write. Some usually quite a lengthy review and and do photography and probably a video review um in recent years as well and it 's very, very difficult to be truly objective or as objective as you 'd like in that period you know i 've had loans of products for literally two maybe three days um there've been you know before the review had to be published or before the product had to be sent back Apple as well in the times where i 've reviewed something ahead of its release date you, or, or ahead of its um the embargo lifting for the for the reviews, you might have a couple of days sometimes to, to to go through it, and and that's that's difficult, particularly when you're factoring in the time that you're having to write a maybe a thousand word review as well. It's it's not a lot.
0: Um, you're not but- going to catch stuff in that period. No, it's it's completely true, and um, there is a definite market for long term reviews, but the problem is that no one will read them because that's not how the internet works. You know, everyone will go for the embargo, and they'll have their thoughts on it, um, and it will. You know, And it, it can often take a while for people to discover that there are problems with things. So, I mean, there's no solution to that. I like uh, the
2: XKCD comic that Luke has shared in the chat room. Um, I think I remember seeing this one. It's a, a, a fake, well, a pretend... It's a cartoon about a, a, a pretend tornado guard. Average rating of four stars out of five based on four reviews. User reviews at the top. Number five, good. Make alert or oh, oh, many alert choices I can't quite see here yes many alert choices and at the bottom one star app did not warn me about tornado um quite a
0: discrepancy there um yes and and you know um and that is true of star ratings particularly if you if you're gonna you know have an average kind of from various things you will always end up with a the same score essentially well not that you won't end up with the same score but it ultimately unless a product is absolutely terrible or very very good it will always land on you know three or four stars won't it well let us know how
2: you find a trustable review i think this would be an interesting one to throw out to the audience do let us know hello at techpodcast.uk or at text message pod on twitter if you're buying a product how do you go and find a trustable review what's your source be great to find that out. Hello at techpodcast.uk.
1: You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup, topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair. Find your nearest spoon and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter.
2: In a letter published by The Guardian, the heads of ITV, BBC, Channel 4 and Channel 5, for those of you not in the UK, there are big broadcasters, ...urged the UK's government to require tech companies to give them more prominent placement within on-demand services, Engadget wrote this week, and explained that the bosses... I say explained, the Guardian explained that the bosses had argued that public service channels are trustworthy news sources, innovative and of local relevance Uh, they wanted new rules to guarantee that these channels uh, outputs would remain easy to find in a world to be fair increasingly dominated by the likes of netflix and amazon uh, with people discovering content less by looking at a tv guide or the radio times or uh, whatever way you used to use uh, tv discovery systems uh, and instead rely on algorithms to recommend stuff that's very similar to things they've watched before or recently now i've read this letter several times um, and actually What seems to be being called for here is far more than just getting streaming services to give BBC and Friends better placement within Netflix, for example. They essentially seem to want technology companies themselves, and they do mention Apple and Google by name as just two companies, to make sure that this content of theirs is given top billing or easy discovery from the software interfaces of their products. So it's not just about going into Netflix and having Netflix show you... um, you know, uh, Sherlock at the top of the screen. It's about loading up an Apple TV or a Kindle Fire or similar and being shown the BBC app or at least some BBC content as well as Netflix and Amazon and things like that. And it reminds me a little bit as well, this argument of when the public broadcasters said that they wanted to appear within iPlayer. This is going back, you know, probably six, seven, eight years but do you remember and we were talking about this years and years ago about how ITV and Channel 4 were, were annoyed that the iPlayer was so dominant and they wanted listing. And and eventually they I think they did at least for a while around 2011-2012, you could go onto the iPlayer and at least in terms of the TV listings like what's coming up, it would list Channel 5 and ITV4 and all these other things and you could they would link out to their to their relevant catch-up services or or, or similar. Um I did take a look for that before we started recording and it doesn't seem to be available anymore but it just feels like this keeps coming full circle and now instead of local broadcasters being angry at the BBC's dominance it's all of our uh, public service broadcasters being angry at Netflix or Apple or, or whomever um, so
0: Give me me your take, Ian, before I jump in with my own. What what do you Uh, think of this? I don't really really understand, honestly. I I don't see how anyone can expect private companies to obey their wishes like this. Um, You know, Netflix and the like have been, you know, they've been built up through arguably the hard work of their employees, and it's a business. And why should then a public service broadcaster come along and say, uh, actually, no. We want to be, you know, or even a, you know, non-public service broadcast. I guess uh, come along and say, no, we want top billing because, you know, this is the UK. Uh, people want our content. I just that doesn't work for me as an idea, and I also don't know what it what it really adds to a user experience. Um, presumably, if you were super super keen uh, on watching Doctor Who, you probably would do it on iPlayer rather than on Netflix. Um so I, you know what what does this add to a customer perspective beyond boosting broadcasters now obviously i I would like the you know the broadcast world to be healthy and keep producing amazing shows um and I think they they will continue to do that because that's ultimately what the public wants and where the money is, but I don't think you can force other businesses to sort of obey that arguably. We'll probably see a time where Netflix won't want any content from anyone else it will its long term goal will almost certainly be to produce all of its own content um and I mean obviously that might be a very long term goal i have i might, have heard, heard that Netflix pick. wants half of its um its cataloged to be original programming. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't it? It's it's much more cost effective if you produce it yourself. Netflix knows a lot better than anyone what people watch. This is why um, Adam Sandler comedies uh, are continually commissioned by Netflix because they know that people are searching for Adam Sandler and that doesn't have any bearing on the perceived quality of that. Uh, But it does give Netflix the option of understanding its audience in a way that most broadcasters just simply can't. Uh, and therefore, I, I think as time goes on, they will, they, I'm mean, sure they will always cherry pick some really good stuff from other places. Um, or, or they may just grow to such a size that they're doing, you know, that they're able to afford to take on, you know, as many big budget films as they want, but that they're really their almost entire focus is going to be on their own produced content because, again, you know that's where the money is they could then you know sub license it or whatever it, it's a complicated relationship but i suspect um amazon netflix hulu etc are all pushing towards owning everything you see i would have disagreed with the uh,
2: the suggestion that the that the, the the broadcasters couldn't push for this to happen uh, were it not for the fact that we've had this european law now that says that the, the companies like Netflix and Amazon have to produce and promote uh, and make visible a certain percentage, you know, around thirty percent original content on their platforms for, you know, for or from local countries in in Europe, and 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 spend money in in the creation of those uh, creation of those works. That is a direct result, essentially, of these. Countries' media producers basically saying we can't compete with this, so so they legislate and they say right, well if if you're going to be this dominant, then you have to basically foot the bill of making sure that these these broadcasters and studios don't go out of business because no one wants to watch them in a traditional way.
0: Well, and I would say that that actually, I think that's probably some of the benefit to Netflix. I mean, I don't know how much stuff they do in the UK. There's some. Um, I mean, Black Mirror is arguably a British production. The uh, crown it's uh, the crown yeah um but um and, there's more uh, than you uh, think uh, actually mate there's there there really are quite a lot yeah so i mean obviously you'd ha- you'd hope that that would be the case and i think that um you will never break into a country uh as a you know as a, as a service that has mass appeal unless you're using that country's voice to speak to its people i mean you know, there, there are. I mean, I think The Crown is popular all over the world. I think Black Mirror is popular all over the world. Um, but there will be other things, littler shows that, that Netflix could easily do that maybe other broadcasters won't, and those could be a huge way to expand its audience to hook in people who would be actually, you know what. Otherwise, I don't think anyone else would make this. I'm going to subscribe. It's a very, a very good example of that is Sky Arts, um, which exists probably um, not so much in a profit-making sense uh, as a way to hook in a certain kind of customers to Sky. Um, You know, Sky Arts shows a lot of stuff like um, opera and ballet and stuff like that that doesn't really work on mainstream broadcasters, but of course, it it gives Sky an almost exclusive amount of access to a more uh i'm not going to say wealthy because i don't think that's the tr- the truth i think it gives them access to a different kind of viewer uh which then benefits them because they have an, an audience that's slightly um slightly well how do i put it I, I suppose if you're if you've got if you run a news operation um and you want to have influence then you need to bring people to your platform who perhaps otherwise would avoid it so what i'm saying is if you think about you know A politician perhaps is interested in X, Y, Z. If you can get them in on that idea and then feed them some news, all the better. Or just hire Nick Clegg. Or that... You know, while you're
2: promoting your own uh, original content and video streaming capabilities, um, well, not insinuating that's the reason, of course. He's a comms guy now. Um, Stephen uh, Huxtable actually wrote in with an email that we were going to we were going to come to you um, next week, but we it's it's so perfectly timed. I'm going to actually read it now, straight from the inbox. Um, he said that both Netflix and Amazon have taken a substantial slice of viewer numbers away from traditional broadcasters here in the UK. With Netflix arriving on the Sky platform in November and on-demand options becoming the norm, the lines between terrestrial and on-demand online service uh, um, have never been more blurred and I I'd I agree with that because actually if you think about it if everything's going through a kind of a set-top box or even something like an app, uh, Apple TV like we have here at home you know even our terrestrial uh, type content comes through, uh, you know, comes through the internet, it's going to become less obvious what's a a terrestrial broadcast in origin and what is an on-demand thing and what's a a catch-up service and what's something else. And Um, that
0: argument perhaps makes a different point in that it's actually not Netflix that the problem is. It's the people who make the hardware who um, need to be you know, who, who, who could be the gatekeepers. If you look at something like Shield or Apple TV, um, what you're presented with on the home screen is often a collection of things it's found for you on different services. Um, that's, um, I don't think it's particularly smart in those two particular examples. But if you think about that, the value of that gateway is far more probably than it is just forcing Netflix to put BBC shows at the top of a list. And well, Stephen points out as I mean, I mean, yeah.
2: To be fair, that I mean, that's basically as well what I think the letter was calling for. In the very, you know, when we start talking about it, is that you know they're they're not s- suggesting that it should just be like Netflix should put a, a BBC program on the front page when you load Netflix. It's that Apple should be, or all of these device makers should be making these these types of services, whether it's public broadcasting, whether it's streaming from a US giant, as visible as each other, and to keep that visibility high as they update their software. Um, but Stephen also raised another interesting. point about um, how streaming companies are taking on roles that we would pre- previously only associate with terrestrial stuff. He mentions tennis and football being shown on Amazon UK and Big Brother's um, apparently rumoured to be going to Netflix after being cancelled by Channel 5. So it's, it's like there's a lot of those things that are being picked up now and, and the rights are being competed for on such an extraordinarily expensive scale that often the only companies that are going to be able to pay to have a lot of these uh, live sporting uh, programs could well be the likes of Amazon and Netflix and, uh, and Apple. Like They're the ones with the huge back pockets compared to even BT and Sky. Um, but if you're listening and have found that your ear's pricked up and you have an incredibly salient point to make, uh, you know what to do, don't you? You open an email client. You start a new email. You put hello at techpodcast.uk in the two-line And then you bash away with your fists on your giant keyboard uh, and then press send. And we'll look forward to uh, reading those comments next week. Ian, it's time to dive into our mailbag for this week. We've got two or three very interesting things that that came in. Uh, I'm going to start with something that we had coming through on Twitter at TextMessagePod. This is from at Mr. Protozoa. He says, uh, regarding day one patches, what about game preservation? If I pick up a 10 year old game off my shelf and the servers are deprecated, I'm stuck with an incomplete experience, which is especially bad for
0: single player narrative titles. It's very yep. true. It's why well, it's not even. It's not even. Um... <laughs> just a problem with really old games i've bought games that are available on um uh like you play that don't work i've tried to raise that with ubisoft and they want uh, well they don't care so you can actually buy a game on that service which is completely broken i think
2: it's a, it, it it is terrible and i think because a lot of dlc is released um long after the games have shipped you might not be able to get those I actually remember yeah. this. This came up once when I bought the. This is going back some time, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, Final Fantasy IX on the PlayStation One. I bought the official game guide for that, and it was at the time where the the publisher really, really wanted people to utilise their website as well, because this was the late nineties. And so I went. Uh, I was going through this guide, and there were certain points where the information wasn't even in the book. It said go to this website and type in this code. And that was great until I was replaying the game several years later and the website didn't exist. And I was like, well, this has totally rendered this book redundant. That's the reason I bought a book. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll we'll find places that can uh, somehow build a business off the back of supporting this. A little bit like good old games does for a lot of old games that don't really have any way to be sold other than, obviously, Steam. Um, but it Yeah, could be and they're a all DRM-free, one. aren't they, when they're on GOG? On GOG, they are yeah, yeah. they are. Um, and then we wanted to come to uh, an interesting couple of points uh, we had, and this is the last time we're going to talk about this uh, on the show from uh, people who have sent in their iPhone pickup counts. We've been curious to see what the average is for everybody. Um, one came in from Shivanchi, and that and Shivanchi um, is from Australia, which is great, or at least based in Australia. Shivanchi uh, says, to, um, "Oh, their their average pickups were forty seven per day." So that's definitely lower than than we've uh, had from other (laughs) listeners. Uh, To put this into context, I'm using an iPhone SE. I'm not on any social media except as a consumer of YouTube, and I'm actively trying to reduce my usage. Over the last few years, I've weaned myself off social media as I found I was not only mindlessly scrolling through pages and pages of feeds, which I would not even remember an hour later, But I would end up getting into arguments with friends on Facebook over differences of opinion and would be needlessly outraged for some tweet from someone I didn't know. Well, I think uh, you can relate to Ian Morris (laughs) there. There's nothing worse than somebody being wrong on the Internet. I wish Uh, they always are. Always. Except us, mate. We're always flawless. Another relevant XKCD there. Indeed. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I had that on a T-shirt at one point. Or a similar one. Anyway, Shivanchi continues. Most importantly, though, is that I found myself not spending as much time as I would like with my family. Since then, I'm more engaged with my family, keep closer contact with friends, although not as numerous as the hundreds I had on Facebook. I can honestly say they are friends and currently reading books again. This is just my little story. I hope it helps. I know everyone's relationship with technology
0: is different. That's Shivanchi. Thank you very much um... for that. Yeah, Very good email. Uh, It's xkcd386, if you want to look it up.
2: Someone is wrong on the, oh yeah, it's like, come to bed, dear. It's like, I can't, somebody is wrong on the internet. Yeah, I remember that one. It's great. Uh, And then the last message we had, um, Ian, why don't you
0: take this? Because I've got a conflict of interest here. (laughs) <laughs> it's from uh, well, it's from Nate's mum. That's why. Hi. In the last seven days, I averaged two hours, 22 minutes per day. Most used were Google, four hours, 16 minutes. WhatsApp, four hours and five minutes. Um, yeah, and that's 347 pickups, but an average of 49 per day, which is very low. Yes. And she said, probably Um, higher than usual due to being off work at the moment. Yes, exactly. And that's absolutely right. And I I think that might explain the WhatsApp because obviously you and uh, Andy will be regularly checking in to make sure she's uh, doing okay. So, yes, probably much lower usage than us um, phone addicts. Yes. Love
2: the show. Regards, your mother. Thank you, mother. We'd be in trouble
0: if your mother wasn't a fan, wouldn't we?
2: We'd be in huge trouble. Yes. um I don't like your show, Nate. Yes. I think you should stop doing this. (laughs) (laughs) yeah <laughs> well, we would listen if she had any specific feedback yeah i'd i'd i absolutely i'd get her on the show one day at some point she's got she's sp- already
0: been on the show at some point i'm sure that
2: not on purpose if she has i'm right. sure oh, okay. okay but i we'll we'll find out uh yeah, you can all petition to have my mother come on the show and talk about. Uh, how she uses her phone hello at techpodcast.uk thank you mother and thank you shivanchi and also thank you mr protozoa on twitter for your feedback text message of course keeps you informed about the british tech landscape but let's check in with tom Merritt over at daily tech news show in the u.s and hear what's been happening in the wider world of tech over the last week Hey, thanks. This week on Daily Tech News Show, it's kind of cloud week. We started off talking about all of the Adobe announcements about their new creative cloud products like Premiere Rush that lets you do some video editing for a little cheaper than buying the full version of Premiere. That led to talking about video game machines in the cloud and whether latency has gotten good enough to be able to rely on that and how Patrick Beja thinks it might be the future. And we even talked with Scott Johnson about using the cloud for everything. Could could it be that you just don't need to replace your hardware anymore? All that and a lot more at dailytechnewshow.com. Thank you, Tom. Yes, definitely worth a listen if you're interested in how cloud-based technologies are developing. It's actually amazing to me how quickly a lot of this stuff has developed. I mean, if you think back, say, 10 years or so when the iPhone was released in, I mean, could we imagine then mm. that 10 years later we'd have, Literally terabytes of cloud storage available to us for like a few quid a month, or or um. smartphones with mobile connections faster than many people have at their for their fiber optic home broadband.
0: Yeah, I think I would struggle with that concept more than I would with the cloud storage. I mean, I, I, I suppose if you just explained it to me, you went, oh, well, they've worked out how to store this on the cloud. Instead, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but I don't. Um, I, the the whole idea of, you know, fast internet on the phone is something I think would have surprised 10 year, 10 year ago me. Mm, definitely. Well, thank you, Tom, uh, for that. And yes, do check all that
2: out at and thank you to our patrons supporting us every week, including our new patrons, Peter Shakespeare and David Morris. Thank you so much for being with us and helping us finish this month with one more patron than we had last month. If, you, if you're if you not yet a patron, though, and like to get our ad-free extended version of each week's show, plus listen and interact with us live, as we have been doing today with a whole range of people, Ivar and KV, Luke, Richard, Stephen, and others have joined us to uh, to listen live today, then you can do so patreon.com forward slash uk tech
0: yes and you can send us any comments you might have to hello at techpodcast.uk and follow us on twitter it's at text pod to keep up to date with the most important uk technology headlines throughout the week and thanks to everyone listening to us on our free ad supported feed if you have just a minute to leave us a review on itunes it's the best way of supporting us without spending a penny And speaking of spending a penny, I need to
2: get out of this chair. So from me, Nate Langson, And me, Ian Morris. We will see you in a week, everybody. We will.
1: You've been listening to Text Message with your host, Nate Langson. If you get value from the show, please consider joining our many supporters on Patreon. You can get access to a version of the show every week with no ads. And as much as 40% more discussion every time. There's no obligation. So why not try a month by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech or looking for the link in this episode's description.